I'm Andrew O'Hagan, host of a new podcast from the London Review of Books. It's about the bloodiest and most controversial event of the Falklands War, the sinking of the General Belgrano. Margaret Thatcher was accused of a war crime. The truth would only emerge in the pages of a private diary. This is the Belgrano Diary. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Welcome to the London Review Bookshop. So, so Dawn. Sorry. I understand today Sheryl Sandberg has said that we can defeat ISIS by liking things on Facebook. <laughs> can you make a connection between that and any other wrong thing that things that she <laughs> <laughs> um, Well, it's quite an interesting, you know, idea she came out with. So she basically said that if you, that we can use the power of Facebook and likes to defeat ISIS. So if you see what any of your friends, as I'm sure you do quite often, talking positively about ISIS... And, uh, you know, just in general, then through the power of, you know, uh, writing underneath, perhaps ISIS are bad and other other kind of sentiments, you might be able to change their mind. Um, and I think that's really quite symptomatic of a lot of what Sheryl Sandberg uh, believes and, and puts forward in her book, which is a kind of slightly benign pushing for a kind of gender equality and uh, business, business uh, equality which isn't really at the expense of anybody else, which sounds good in, th- in theory, but it, it's, it, it's like she seems absolutely determined never, ever to rock the boat. So she works in Silicon Valley, which is a notoriously male-dominated and quite macho environment, and at no point in her book does she ever say, in order to get more women, women at the top or women you know, in equal roles, actually, you might need to push some of these men out of the way. Uh, or, even, or even say that perhaps the reason why there are so many men in place is because there are structures uh, created and upheld by these men that keep them in place and you need to break down those barriers in order to make things more equal. Yeah. So. I mean, it, one thing I really loved about the book is this, is this, it really distills the kind of corporate feminist line that everybody ought to love their, all women should love work above mm. all things except for their children or, or you know, the plan to have children, which you're allowed to love more than work, mm. but you're not allowed to love anything else more than work, and you're definitely not allowed to hate work. Mm. And this is something I really miss about the 90s, actually, is that we used to really hate work all the time. Yeah. And I think most people still do. Is that right? Yeah, completely. I mean, <laughs> um, I think... I'm- there are aspects of work that I find very troubling. Like I'm, I'm, I'm very. I think I'm quite rare, and I actually like most of what my job is. Mm. But there are aspects that, you know, especially in the industry, that really need to be changed, etc. Yeah. But most people I know like their friends, they like their family, they like their civic life, they like they they they, they, they like their own pursuit of like hobbies and intellectual ideas and sport, etc. Far more than they like going into an office and doing something for several hours a day. Um, and Sheryl Sandberg doesn't seem to get that. In, 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 her, in her kind of business manifesto, uh, you, are, you are a mother and you are a worker 
and nothing in between. Yeah. And the only and the, and the only thing you can really do is make sure make sure that those two are balanced. There's nothing outside. There's no civic life. She doesn't talk about politics. She doesn't really talk about friends very much, <coughs> other than as business mentors. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there's it's a it's kind of an erasure of fellowship as yeah. part of life. And I wonder how much the kind of that that the, that kind of capitalist model relies on that. Yeah, completely. Um, I mean, so obviously the whole point of leaning in is to basically work harder, not upset the boat. Yeah. And it also kind of apportions blame to women for not getting further in careers, etc. If you say to a woman, well, maybe if you kind of, you know, be a bit more flexible once you've had babies. So she talks quite proudly about the yeah. fact that she was answering work emails in the maternity ward, you know, within an hour of giving birth, etc. Which is, you know, <laughs> to, to my mind, uh, is a like, you know, a, a, a pretty kind of terrifying approach to parenting, yeah. but also, <laughs> all, but also, also says a lot about the workplace that you, you know, you, that you work in. If you're in a workplace that, that, that says to women you need to be answering emails even when you're basically giving birth, and I mean, I, you give birth, so you know more than I do. That, but yeah, it sounds quite terrifying. Hurts. Yeah. <laughs> So if you're in a workplace that expects and encourages that, then yeah. that's not a workplace that's welcoming to women. Yeah. yeah. So Sheryl so Sandberg saying, you know, we need to give a little more is basically saying to women, uh, you know, men are the default in a workplace. If you're not, if you, if you're not getting ahead and we aren't getting ahead, then you need to do things like answer your, answer your, answer your, um, answer your emails from, from the maternity ward, uh, see your children a little bit less. Um, and it's very, very business friendly. Yeah, it's yeah. not at any point kind of personal, you know, personal or um, civic minded or, or there's nothing really about society. Yeah. And it's very conflict avoidant. Right? Yeah. She doesn't want to have any conflict with the ethics of the business. Yeah. And no point does she ever criticise anybody that she's ever worked with. Yeah, which is weird. Um, and I find that weird. Yeah, yeah, I find yeah, the, yeah. I mean, I've got a lot. To, I, I think we, we think we've all got a lot to say about people we've worked with. At some point <laughs> like you know, um, because humans are... Annoying. Yeah, they're really annoying. Yeah. And you either like somebody or you hate somebody. And yeah. it, and, or, or you go through life and you find everybody pretty bog standard, in which case that's even duller. Yeah. But, but at no point does she talk about anybody she's worked with who, has, uh, who, who she hasn't liked uh, or who has stopped her. But, but, and, that, and that ties into also the fact that at no point does she mention any legislation that could help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she talks about how hard, how, how hard someone may find it because they have two months maternity leave. She doesn't say, why don't we legislate for more maternity leave? Why don't we legislate for maternity pay? She talks about how wonderful America is in terms of women's rights because you know, women can marry who they choose and they marry late. But she doesn't talk about the fact that America is behind most of, most of the developed world when it comes to maternity rights and, work, and even workers' rights. Yeah. Yeah. So she doesn't mention trade unions at all because they're anti-business. Um, and she doesn't mention anything that could help workers outside of what comes from within themselves. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. There's no, so, so there's no kind of solidarity and there's also no, I, no kind of push for anything that, that could materially help women as a whole. Yeah, and in a way she's kind of rolling feminism into a kind of competitive market yeah. narrative. Yeah. Which is pretty impressive, actually, when you think about it. It's a, it's a movement based on solidarity. Hmm. She's managed to turn it into possessive individualism. But you see it all the more. I mean, I mentioned it later in the book when, um, I mean, I, th- I think since, probably since I was about 18, so yeah. you know, the past like, decade or so, I've seen, you know, a lot of people have been talking about how great it is that feminism is more mainstream. And yeah, I wouldn't yeah, knock yeah. that, but it also seems to have been co-opted by a very kind of consumerist agenda. Mm. So it's all about, so rather than say, you know, 
are we becoming a more feminist society because women are being sexually assaulted less, they're coming forward about sexual assault more, they're getting further in any workplace, you know, the, you know women are, are feeling more secure once they have children. It's all about kind of whether or not one individual lifestyle is feminist. Yeah. So I've lost count of the number of times I've read articles about whether or not you can shave your legs and be a feminist. And <laughs> yeah. I know I've definitely seen more of them than I have about ex- about exactly what happens um, in, you know, psychologically after you're sexually assaulted and, and what can be done about that. Um, and, and, you know, we see things like kind of feminist necklaces and T-shirts and a lot of it's about branding yeah. and kind of selling sort of lifestyles back to women. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there's a, there's, the other thing that keeps cropping up is the, this whole thing about mentors and role models. And mm. the kind of people who talk about mentors and role models seem to be really opposed to meaningful cooperation but they instead kind of choose this kind of, you yeah. know, master and apprentice style. Yeah. But what, I mean, I'm always really sceptical of, um, of mentoring. Yeah, me too, but I can never work but, out well, why. Part, I partly because, it partly like because I, I see it as a kind of formalisation of nepotism. Yeah, 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 exactly. Because, I mean, you, I mean if you... you, you, you if I, if I wanted, like, a very senior journalist to mentor me, I'm not going to get that when I'm an 18-year-old who lives in a council estate in, um, in, like, in Salford. Mm. But I am going to get that if my parents know somebody or if I'm already in, like, a newspaper and I kind of can curry favour in certain ways. So I think because mentoring is, is actually not that formalised but is seen as, an, as, as a way of opening up um, kind of industries that are quite closed, I actually see it as a kind of formalisation of nepotism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so in a way, they kind of all the things which we've already established are bad for equality in the yeah. wider discourse, like nepotism, are, are somehow legitimised as soon as you stick tits on them and yeah. go, "Well, this is a feminist thing." Mm. You know, it's not nepotism because that's a woman, and so am I. Yeah, and and Shoal, and and and, and, so, and what Sandberg kind of talks on, and what I've seen increasingly um, in a lot of kind of British and American mm. kind of feminist, uh, you know, kind of uh, political debate. Is the, is the idea that once you get women in at the top, you get this kind of trickle-down feminism type yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Vince Cable, when he wasn't busy kind of propping up a government that cut tax credits for women, that closed rape crisis centres, that instituted bedroom tax, and you know, and, and basically made like women's lives hell yeah. if they earned under fifty thousand pounds a year. Yeah, yeah. So what, one one big thing that he was really keen on was getting women on boards, um, and. And, and that comes from the idea that, you know, Harriet Harman agreed, it said as well, that, like, if you had a Lehman sisters instead of a Lehman brothers, the entire culture and financial industry would have changed. We'd never have had a financial crash. When, if you actually look at it, then the culture kind of stays pretty much the same. Nothing much changes. And the kind of people who get to the top anyway get there by aping male behaviour, like Sheryl Sandberg has, and don't rock the boat because, you know, because they've only been allowed in because, they, because, yeah, they're, yeah. because their aims and their beliefs reflect who's already there. And when you look at Norway and Sweden, who've, um, who've had like gender quotas on boards for years, the women who are on these boards uh, hold mul- mul- multiple kind of board positions. They don't really make, take that many decisions, and the gender of the rest of the, the, rest of the um, institution doesn't change at all. Right, 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 right. So, you, so in a way, that, that whole <coughs> representation thing, you think it's co-opted from the start? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the whole kind of trickle-down feminism is, is really interesting, because mm. at least with trickle-down economics, <coughs> it's something you can count yeah. and say, well, this clearly isn't trickling down. But with feminism, you can't really count it. 
and yeah. say that's not trickling down. So yeah, it's, it's quite difficult. So I mean, like. Um, if you actually look at the gender pay gap, that's actually yeah. widened in the past three years for the first time in about, I don't know, about 18 years, I think it was. I'm always a bit, a bit suspect about this as well, because, because, because I mean, every, when, you know, part, sometimes it looks like it's narrowing, but that's because everybody's wages and conditions are yeah, down. Yeah, exactly. And so it's a really crude measure anyway. Yeah. And when you break things down, um, so for instance, you've got, so people talk about gender, gender pay gap between men and women, and it's just based on full-time wages. Mm-hmm. If you look at part-time wages... Uh, women are paid even less. If you look at women over 50, it's, you know, it's, it gets a lot worse. So um, I think, and, and it's kind of Sandberg, Sandbergian idea of the ideal woman who has like one, one, one life that has a upwards trajectory. Yeah, yeah, when yeah. women's lives uh, are constantly in flux when it comes to um, their, their kind of access to the market, to the labour market. So if you're young and you have a degree, then you, know, you do it pretty well. Then you have your first baby and you know, you start to struggle a bit and then you have your second baby and then you become a bit more senior and then you hit about 50 and all of a sudden, like, the, the labour market just drops off for women. Yeah. So we saw that a lot after a session when a lot of women who were uh, in their 50s, you know, and, and, and above were, like, were, were laid off um, and a lot of them had never found work again. Yeah. And that doesn't really get talked about because... No, I mean, it's, well, it's, it's a kind of, it's a, it's a mantra of success, isn't it? In, in yeah. the kind of Sheryl Sandberg world, the only kind of job that's worth talking about is the one in which you are incredibly successful all the time. Yeah. Um, and and she, she never mentions cleaners in there at all, which no. is bizarre. I mean, um, Melissa Gear Grant made a point that at one point in her book, she has this anecdote she's clearly very proud of, where she says that she went to this board meeting in a different, in a different company, and she was the only woman there, and she asked the men where the lady's toilet were, was, and none of them knew. And um, Melissa Gear Grant, uh, she said, oh, I had to wander around for ages trying to find it. And Melissa Gear Grant points out that she could have asked the people who were serving her coffee, who were likely to be women, any of the cleaners around there, any of the reception staff. So it's, it's almost as if she doesn't, she doesn't see these kind of lower-paid yeah. women for whom that would never work. But she it, she it, doesn't yeah. mention uh, who cleans her house, who buys her groceries, who looks after her kids and actually enables her to go out to work. Yeah. And actually, if you say to women who are working in, you know, on zero-hours contracts in Tesco, Actually, maybe you should uh, put your hand up more and speak in meetings more. A, those meetings don't happen, and B, if, <laughs> B, if you do, then you're just not going to get hired. Yeah, yeah, know. yeah. So, but this—I mean, this is this has been a feminist fault line for ages. Yeah. With did you read that Alison Wolf book, The Sex mm. Factor, where she found she basically found that the, the, the higher the female representation in really high-paying careers, the larger percentage of of, of a workforce were female in caring professions, right? So in Sweden, yeah. for example, I think ninety-seven percent of carers are, mm. are women. And her line, which I thought was kind of Marxist but misogynistic at the same time, so obviously it made my head explode, um, was that the more was that kind of female success was really grinding down the rest of the female population. Mm. And I suppose the kind of subtext of that is females should try and be less successful so that in in the service of the sisterhood. Mm. <laughs> I think part of it is that um, every time you talk about uh, gender representation in any any sphere whatsoever. Mm. One of the reasons why one of the reasons why men get uncomfortable, and um, you know, and it, happens, it happens when you talk about class as well. If you talk about how, if you look at our current cabinet, you know, a huge number of them went, went to Eton. If you look at Parliament, a huge number went to private school in Oxford, considering that seven percent of the population went to uh, private school, and I think it's about thirty-eight percent of MPs. So, if you look at that, there's a huge, you know representation gap and when you say to somebody shouldn't it be more equal shouldn't it be more representative of society people panic and what they don't want to say is that in order to get those people in there you have to get some of the kind of 
posher men act. And <laughs> yeah, so yeah. if you Can't we just make yeah. it larger? And so if you want to make society more equal, you need to get more men in caring roles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, peop- and, and men get uncomfortable with that because every job they perceive is very high up for themselves. And if you say to somebody, perhaps we should have more female politicians, that, that, that does mean fewer male politicians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they can't quite grasp <laughs> the idea that a man wouldn't be there purely because of his own merit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that, but it's also a classic um, narrative that you see, uh, you know, right across the third sector, right across the developing world conversation, that it, everything has to be culpritless, right? Mm. You can, people are quite happy talking about victims, but nobody wants to talk about culprits. Mm. And I, you know, that is, I don't know how, you, I don't have, know how to do it. Yeah. I've kind of lost the muscle. Because, I, yeah, it, it, it's a very, very difficult conversation to have, unless you're willing to grind in your heels and say, actually, yes, um, maybe we should have fewer male MPs, because maybe a lot of them, uh, I'm just not even going to bother naming any names at this point, uh, <laughs> got there because they were, because they came from a very wealthy family. I mean, come on, George Osborne, one of his only jobs before he you know, became uh, an MP and then Chancellor was folding jobs in John, you know, folding towels in John Lewis, and that was because a friend's dad got him the job. Yeah, he's not. He was. He 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 didn't. He didn't study hard and work hard and decide that actually representing people was a job for him. He saw a job that had a lot of prestige. He comes from. He comes from a family and like you know a long line of people who who were who, who have been told that that they are designed for these jobs and and they deserve them. Yeah. And if you say to somebody actually you might not automatically deserve them, you should work for them. Then a lot of men who who. You know, whose whole being is invested in the idea that they are somewhere because they are good and they are clever and they are, mm. you know, brave, mm. um, actually gets taken away from them. But it's quite depressing, isn't it? Because you think you think that the tech industry would be would be a break from those kind of prestige, that that kind of ancient mm. prestige, the ancient kind of I this belongs <laughs> to me. You know, yeah. if, if a completely new field explodes and there are lots of high up jobs in it, you would think that the. the it, it's surprising to me that it wasn't more open to begin with, but it's actually more sexist than anything else. I think it's partly because um, I really, really hate this term, disruption. Yeah, me too. And <laughs> I hate it because, it, first of all, it's meaningless. And it also, like, what I see as disruption for them is just them deciding that rules don't apply to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if, if you know, if, if you're in, like, a wild, disruptive tech industry, um, I've, been in a, I've been in a few kind of tech startups, and some of them are quite big, where you go in, and it's basically like going into a children's playground. So there are people yeah. going around on scooters. I went into the Facebook headquarters, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and they've got, like, a, 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 a sweet shop with, like, little kind of, you know, like, big tubes full of different jelly beans about the size of this desk that people just go up and help themselves to. And there are, like, chalkboards everywhere. Disgusted. It was disgusting. And, it's, and, it's, and, and, and everyone says, oh, it's because you're creative and you're more free. But, but in this kind of rule-breaking creative thing, they also, you know, it also makes no sense for you to say that you should follow kind of traditional HR, you know, structures like not hiring your best mate because you like him and you have beers together perhaps looking at proper maternity rights for women, perhaps uh, double-checking that people aren't being given a ludicrously high salary just because they have a penis, um, and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, do, do you feel now that the, only, that the public sector is the only place where people abide by kind of normal workplace practices, anti-exploitative and anti-discriminatory? Pretty much. I mean, I've worked in the public sector and the private sector, and mm-hmm. I've worked for myself. I'd probably exploit myself more than anybody else did. Mm-hmm. But, but do you discriminate against yourself? Uh, no, I think I'm pretty equal ops with me. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think 
you know, as, as much as the Conservatives complain about red tape, the reason they do so is because it stops them from behaving in a kind of Machiavellian kind of you know, way that they would like to, yeah. ideally. So, and I think that's partly why the public sector is being attacked so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, 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 it generally isn't as if the public sector is so bloated. It's, 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 it's unbelievable. I know, everybody's Because really all that happens is, you know, you get, you get a load of women who are laid off, you know, thousands of jobs have, been, have gone, and then they... And then all that happens is that, that somebody is hired temporarily at a much higher rate, uh, you know, op- work, 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 works in a more insecure kind of role, and that, and that gets moved to another balance sheet. Mm. And then after that, then everything just gets outsourced to G4S, Circa, and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. So if you look at, you know, I mentioned like Yarl's Wood in my book, um, and other detention centres, I mean, especially for women, those places are absolute hell. And they're not not really in the private in, in the public sector anymore. They've been yeah. moved to the private sector, yeah, yeah. and handed off to people who aren't regulated, aren't really scrutinised, and just commit the, the most awful abuses against women. Yeah, I mean that kind of comes back because you mentioned Theresa May, but kind of this being in Theresa May's yeah. purview and her being her kind of periodically appealing to yeah. a kind of feminist mantra as, as you mm. know something that means something to her, maybe not the world, but something, and how hard it is to conceive of a genuine feminist presiding over a kind of system like that. Yeah. But that kind of comes back to the kind of Thatcherite question. Yeah. Whether it, whether it helps, if you've got somebody who hasn't got any interest in women's rights, mm. whether it helps to have them imposed at all. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I constantly get this argument about Thatcher, and luckily it's dying down because people are bored of arguing with me. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, you so... can kill her memory just by, <laughs> just by battering them into submission. But, I mean... A lot, the argument always comes down to oh, a lot of women, a lot of girls didn't know they could be prime minister before Thatcher, but <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. I mean, all the little girls have become prime minister yeah. since then. Yeah, the loads of them since then has been brilliant. Um, but first of all, she didn't do anything that, to my mind that helped women whatsoever. Mm. I grew up in like kind of a mining community, and then moved to an ex-steel you know town. So all I saw was unemployed women who had you know. Really, quite grim lives. No hope for the future. Uh, very little kind of um, hope for their children's like futures and circumstances. When I go back, it's still the same. And then also, because she was a woman and she was unpopular, um, she got she, you know, the level of kind of hatred uh, that was like, levelled against her yeah. also had a massive misogynist undertone. Yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. If you say to, if you say, well, she, maybe she inspired like some little five-year-old to be prime minister, I'd say a lot more people saw exactly how hated she was and heard the kind of you know misogynist language against her as well. Tied those two things together and kind of wondered exactly how much of politics was for women. Yeah. I mean, I was very very young when she left, but my only memory of Thatcher was people you know saying horrible things about her and then seeing her walk into a car crying because she basically been deposed as Prime Minister by all the men around her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then and you have... And you're saying that wasn't yeah. inspiring. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why I grew up to be uh, Norman Lamont. <laughs> um, and then you've got Theresa May and, um, you know, David Cameron got... Was, you know, and, and was attacked a lot for having, like, a nearly all-male cabinet, brought in a lot more women who haven't done a huge amount. Theresa May constantly refers to herself as a feminist. She had a campaign before... Um, 2010 election called Theresa May for Equal Pay. When wow, you, I didn't remember that. Yes, you had like little <laughs> little like posters and pink T-shirts. It was good because uh, that's how you know it's for a girl. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's magenta. But it's when you when, but when you listen to her. Yeah. Um, and and her views on feminism, mm. then 
it's a very it's a very specific type of feminism that a lot of people would, would you know would agree with. It's about equal pay and um, police taking street harassment se- uh, seriously. There's not a huge amount of talk about actual sexual violence, but there is about domestic violence shelters. And it's that kind of very, very narrow feminism that appeals to kind of upper middle class, quite metropolitan women who are kind of isolated from some of the more insidious uh, aspects of, of, of sexism because they're bound up in class and they're bound up in yeah, race. Yeah, 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 yeah. So if you look at the women in Yarlswood, they're attacked because they're women, but also because they're migrant women. Yeah, yeah. So their oppression is doubled. If you look at cleaners in Birmingham, they're, they're, they're victimised because they're both poor, working class and they're women. Um, but there's a very specific type of quite kind of... Um, oh, what's what I'm looking for? Quite kind of upstanding feminism that she's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, that, and, and, that, and that's also very individual. Yeah, 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 yeah. Would you say that there isn't really... That there's no role for feminism outside a broader fight for equality? Like fighting for feminism without fighting for equality is kind of at best random and at worst counterproductive. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think I think you can't just fight for feminist goals because the feminist goals are so bound up yeah. in money and power and nationality, ethnicity mm-hmm. and every other kind of axis of oppression of, of that you know work around. And I think you have to work together with other movements in order to actually have any proper impact on quality. Otherwise you're just helping a very small minority of people and just telling the rest of the people they can go hang. And that's kind of what that, that's what you know the oppressors and the conservatives and the Republicans in America want. They want people to become um, kind of split off, isolated, more 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 inward looking and to yeah, yeah, yeah. care more about themselves than they would about their neighbours or the whole town. So do you think I mean moving up moving kind of taking that a bit further, do you think identity politics kind of identity poli- politics rouse actually are kind of apolitical in some fundamental way? Um, I increasingly think so. I just, I find it quite exhausting the, um, the kind of, I, 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 find, I find a lot of the internet rows quite exhausting, oh, the way that people, um, people's demand for an actual authentic politics mm-hmm. uh, has changed from saying that, you know, we, we should listen to working class experiences rather than just an idea of what we think working class experiences in Tesco or kind of yeah. uh, industries is. Um, and instead comes down to the idea that the only people who should be able to speak must qualify every single axis you know, of oppression that they um, that they that, 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 that they've come across. Um, I find that very confusing. It's very exhausting. It also, it's also like just quite silenced in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's it's particularly bad in mental health. I think. I think. Really? Yeah. I, th- I think. I think there's like a culture now in some activism of like of disclosure. Where, in order to speak, you have to first disclose cer- certain aspects of your kind of personality, your history, your economic conditions, etc. What, what, and what's the thinking behind that? That you have to disclose your situation in order to be an authentic voice? Yeah, in many ways, I think so. If so, I've I've, I've seen people discuss kind of um, mental health access in the NHS mm-hmm. and how it's political <laughs> and why mental health services get. Um, funded a lot less than cancer services and maternity services and things like that and um, just p- rather than engage with the point people have argued that the only people who should be listened to are people who are who have experienced mental health problems and are willing to talk about them yeah 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 um, and it comes down to class and economics a lot and it, it I just I often find it comes down to a lot of nitpicking and very little actual um, kind of 
force the change in many ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's very silencing, but it's a very, it's a classic left wing. It's a classic yeah. way in which the left wing eats itself. Mm. It's, I mean, you know, I, I can't think of many better ways, in fact. Yeah. Than the kind of quest for authenticity, which ends up with one person who's got all the disadvantages. And but but the, and that's also a kind of trope that that the right uses yeah, constantly. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, I remember yeah. Boris Johnson talking about um, uh, talking about how how he was sick of funding services for. Um, black migrant lesbians in wheelchairs and that sort of thing. And yeah, well, that's quite a long time ago. Yeah, well, uh, was it 2009? Oh, I th- I'm thinking of like the G- whole GLC thing. You probably weren't even uh, born. When, <laughs> when um, Ken Livingston actually was mainly funding black yeah. lesbians in wheelchairs. But um, it was a huge thing. It was a hu- that's all yeah. anybody ever talked about. There was probably only two black lesbians in wheelchairs in the capital. Mm. Um, and it was all, it, that was a constant kind of political... Football, but, but I, think, I kind of feel yeah. like we'd move on, but we didn't move mm. on at all. And I feel like if you move down, if you if you push the idea, I mean, I'm not against obviously people who have experiences um, talking about them and you know, bringing them forward. But mm. when you say that only those people with those experiences who are willing to disclose them do so, then you're yeah, yeah, you're yeah. basically diminishing the pool from pool of people from whom who, whom you listen to, and you're also privileging people who are happy to disclose these things. A lot of people don't want to talk about their mental health problems. I mean, if you've got PTSD, you don't want people to know why you've got PTSD. Or no, if if yeah. you've been raped, you might not want people to know you've been raped. If you, if you're if you're you know struggling financially, or you have a kind of um, precarious immigration status, you may not want to disclose that. But that doesn't mean that by not wanting to, you shouldn't have to. Yeah, yeah. So obviously, obviously, there's a big space for listening to people who have direct experience. But when you say that only those people should be listened to, then you just diminish it, the voice over and over again, which is what the right really want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk to me about aspiration, because it's like the, the kind of right-wing feminist narrative or the corporate feminist mm. narrative is all about aspiration. But aspiration has got quite a weird meaning now. It's only material aspiration. Yeah. You never mean, I'm aspiring for the end of climate change, mm. even though... It's also a very good way of um, of pushing the blame, well, not blame, but it, it's a very good way of telling somebody that if they haven't achieved, it's because they haven't aspired yeah, yeah. enough and haven't tried enough. Yeah. So, I mean, I suppose you could think of aspiration as the opposite of realism. Hmm. So, if you're a uh, if you're a child in Mercer Tidville, who uh, goes to a state school, whose parents didn't go to university, didn't finish school, and you <coughs> probably won't get into university. It, a, a lot of these people know they won't get into university, so they don't try, and then they look at other jobs instead. And you know, a conservative would say, well, that person lacked, lacked aspiration. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't say, somebody who went to Eton, who has spent all of their life being hothouse, has been told over and over again, you deserve to go to university, you deserve a job. And it's also what annoys me about the kind of social mobility um, yeah, like yeah, narrative, because yeah, yeah. if social mobility actually worked um, and was and, and was easy rather than a fluke, then you'd get a lot of very posh kids working in Tesco, because social mobility doesn't just go one way. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. mean, someone like me who came from like, a comprehensive school with like a family with no qualifications, who's suddenly at the Guardian, that's that's that, that, that yeah. somebody. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't think Instead, I have displaced anybody. Um, I think I've just kind of shoehorned my way in. And nobody ever talks about... Um, I mean, I mentioned it in the book, I talk about how um, aspiration is... Uh, in, in order for people to you know, prove aspiration is you know, um, 
is a good mantra to have, it's something good, it's something to teach people, you have to focus on the outliers. So the people, you know, like Sheryl Sandberg or people like me or somebody from um, a very poor background who wrote a best-selling novel, you have to pick up on these outliers as a way of saying, look, it can work, mm. which is a bit like a doctor prescribing the wrong medication to 400 people, pulling back three people who somehow didn't die of pneumonia and going, well, you know, you just didn't like want it enough. You didn't want to be cured enough and now you're all dead. But, <laughs> but it, I mean, again, aspiration, it comes down to the individual yeah. and, it, and, it, and it relies on a certain kind of drive that most people are taught not to have because, they, because poverty makes you unhappy. It, make, it is exhausting. It gives you no confidence. Um, you're constantly told by like the media and the wider you know, political narrative that if you're a migrant, if you're poor, if you're a woman, if you're um, if you're not kind of straight white and from and you know went to Oxford, mm. then pretty much you're undesirable and you're lacking in some way, or you aren't quite the real deal. Yeah, yeah. So to focus on aspirations and you know social mobility, just yet again says says, says to individuals, it's down to you to make things happen for yourself. 
perceptions of women in business, like a woman who comes in without makeup is perceived as a bit kind of lazy and a bit, you know, <laughs> and, and, and often older than she is, whereas like women who come in makeup and, you know, very well turned out yeah. are seen as both professional and unthreatening. I know, I interviewed um, Justine Thornton, mm. is that her name? Am I right? Yeah. yeah. Edmund Van's missus. Oh, yeah. Um, and Marina Wheeler. Have I got that right? Yes. It was only yesterday. <laughs> um, and um, she, she, they were talking about how <laughs> if you put a wig and a gown on, you don't, that, that kind of, the law becomes less sexist because you're not being judged on your mm. appearance, which I thought was really weird. I don't know, I haven't had a proper job for so long. I didn't realise that, you know, everywhere you went, if you didn't have a wig and a gown on, people weren't checking you out mm. and finding you wanting, a little bit more wanting every single day of your life. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I did this trick um, a while ago. I did, like, a couple of panels in one week, and each time I'd come off stage and I'd... Um, say to somebody, what was everybody wearing on the panel? And they all, and they all remembered what the women what, were wearing. that tone of voice? Yeah. <laughs> this is just my normal tone of voice. I'm absolutely terrified and interrogating everybody I meet. I just walked up with strangers. Um, and, and they never remembered what the men were wearing. And you, you can do it on Newsnight. And, yeah, and yeah, people yeah. never remember what the men are wearing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Even like Jon Snow's ties, they can't tell you about them. Mm. But they always remember what the women were wearing. Mm. So, you want to, so it's a kind of self-tightening knot, right? Yeah. The more, the more you... The more you kind of play up to it, the more you're judged for... But it's also interesting, I mean, there's one study I talk about in the book um, where they look at what happened to... Sorry, I'm just going to... Is that you? I saw yeah. somebody throwing their nose in a really my way. My, <laughs> throwing my necklace on my um, microphone. They looked at men and women who were, who were hired into quite senior jobs mm. and then they looked at the perceptions of their, of their hiring decisions. And once... And um, it was across loads of institutions, and it was really yeah. quite comprehensive. They looked at white men, um, white women, and black men who were hired into you know, comparable level jobs. And the women and the men uh, and the black men were scrutinised really, really um, harshly for any kind of jo- any kind of job decision they made. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, it, so rather than people thinking she she got given that job because she is a woman, they mm. instead looked at who she hired and oh, picked gosh. faults in who they'd hired from then. And so what they found was the white men were hiring more diversely than the women and the black men. In because, case they were seen yeah. as, Jesus, it's like kind of Keynesian yeah. something or other. And, and, you can, and you see that with a lot of female politicians as well, um, wanting to be seen to be tough because yeah, yeah. They're, they're a woman in like a very, very male environment. Well, yeah, I mean, I thought that about, about Sandberg in a way, that, that she kind of really played up to business as, as a kind of fundamentally mm. antisocial yeah. pursuit. Because it, if she were ever to say business should have a social purpose and there's no point doing it if it doesn't improve mm. something, um, then you, she would be just... A, she would be, that would be girly. But it's really funny because every time Facebook has um, come under criticism for... Uh, a lot of their kind of sexist policies. So, for instance, if you ever put a photo of someone breastfeeding and on Facebook, it gets ripped down almost instantly. But if you if you kind of write a message mm. to a woman openly and say that you hope she gets raped and murdered, yeah. then that barely That's ever fine. gets taken yeah. down. So, like, you know, they've come under a lot of criticism for um, quite contradictory policies. Every single time that comes out, they get Sheryl Sandberg out on stage because, she, because, <laughs> yeah. because she's one of the only because she's one of the only women who's working at that high level in Facebook. Yeah. So rather than get like their head of ethics or the person in charge of like the moderation manager, 
they grab the, one of the only women they've got in the office and say, go out there and try and make us look good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she comes up with no, with no real ideas because her job is like chief operating officer. It's not to uh, kind of make ethical decisions on things. It's just about kind of getting more users and getting more money in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... There's, I mean, there's, a, that, there's that bit in, in your book about women being more likely to be fired from high positions, mm. partly because they're more likely to be put in charge of failing organisations. Yeah. And that's an interesting mm. kind of hiring decision. We Probably not from our newspaper. I'm sure that's fine. Um, <laughs> we just have female editors. Yeah, I'm sure it's fine. Although, now they've moved under the bonnet. <laughs> oh, God. Sorry, no, no, that's um, not true. Yeah. Harding's not going to fold. It's all great. No, um... <laughs> So, <laughs> but it happens a lot. I mean, like with that looks bad. Yeah, this looks great. Let's carry on talking about it. Yeah, go for <laughs> it. <laughs> um, yeah, because often women are taken in at the last minute when right, right, everybody right. else has washed their hands of it. So you had um, uh, Jill Jill Abrams okay, in Abrams. New York like you Times. Say Abramovich. Yeah, me too. <laughs> That's Chelsea. Um, and then lots of kind of small financial institutions, like just 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 after the financial crisis, they just shoved a load of women in because all the men left on like huge redundancy packages. So it's so the women are there working for years and years and years, and the men won't touch it because also you know they they talk to each other and they get heads up at what 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 roles are coming up and and if if somebody wants to leave then rather than just handing their notice and saying, oh, I wonder who'll come in. Yeah, because yeah, they're so yeah. high up, they butter people up for, for ages. So yeah. women are more likely to be given kind of failing institutions. I mean, you look at Marissa Mayer in Yahoo. Um, yeah, I know, she got stiff, didn't she? Yeah, and there were a couple of women I mentioned who came in and then after about six months were chucked out because the organisations were failing anyway. Yeah. So women are often only given power when... when there's either nothing they can do with it or they're there just to have the, pl- the blame pinned on them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, do you, see, do you still think the old boys' network is a significant thing? Do you think men share information more with each other than they oh, do? Oh, absolutely. Really? Like, I see it in absolutely every kind of aspect of life still. Really? Yeah. I mean... Um, I mean uh, so when I was working in Parliament... Yeah. Uh, all the men knew each other. Um, all the MPs were involved in like little five-a-side football clubs. And I was working for a female MP, and she would get absolutely frustrated by how many times she was left out of uh, you know, Labour were in power at the time, how many times she was left out of a conversation because it had happened in a pub. Oh, really? Because the men had gone for a pint after they'd played football, and they'd all gone to the pub afterwards and started talking shop. And she wasn't there because she was eight months pregnant and a woman. Um, so it happened then. Um, I see it. I see it a lot of work as well. Like uh, I see, you know, a lot of kind of cabals of men that work together. I mean, um, uh, increasingly, I see like, women organising together uh, to try and combat it. I was going to say, do you, there, those kind of things where women do organise, like the Coven and things like that, mm. and women in journalism. Do you think they? Do you think they have any impact, or do you think? I think it depends how they're set up. I think they can do. Um, often they do at the beginning, and then they just kind of replicate the very structures that they're railing against. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Uh, oh, sorry, I meant I can't check the audience. But <laughs> like, finish your answer. Yeah. So, 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 so you know, if I think if at first you say to the workplace, "We're going to have a women's group. Anybody who wants to come along." then the first few meetings are often very open. You've got young people, old people, you know, all sorts of women from all, all different types of jobs. And then eventually it kind of diverges and you end up with um, the women who are, you know, the women who went to Oxford and had these high-level high jobs and don't have a huge amount to complain about, except in comparison to their immediate peers rather than the office as a whole. Yeah, so yeah, I've yeah, been to yeah. some of them where I've said I don't have a permanent contract or... Uh, 
I, I'm not allowed to join the NEJ because I haven't got a correct uh, kind of title. And they'll be so gobsmacked they can't believe it because yeah. their main gripe was that um, somebody who started the same time as them 24 years ago just got a promotion above them. <laughs> Okay, I've got to go for the audience. I'm really sorry, everybody. Time flew by for me. Um, who wants to ask a question? Well done. I love the person who asked the first question. From Sam. Um, mm-hmm. My question is, at the beginning, you touched a couple of times on the origin of women in civic life. Um, mm. As um, a local councillor, who survived it quite late in life. and wish I'd done it a long time before. I was wondering if you could say a bit more about yeah, I mean, I just, I just found it really strange that um, Sam, even though Sam had talked a lot about kind of politicians that she'd known and been chummy with in like Republicans and Democrat, Democratic parties, she didn't mention any, women having any involvement in civic life whatsoever. Not even as like, you know, so not being a kind of the equivalent of a local councillor or getting involved in any protests or any kind of, you know, kind of clamour for change outside of the work. But um, I. I think I, th- I think I mean you you might know more than me about this, but I think I heard recently that they were talking about trying to get like proper maternity pay in for counsellors and things like that. And um, I know that when I first um, kind of looked at kind of politics and how it was working when I was about sixteen, I was in a town that was almost entirely like male when it came to councils, and it changed quite slowly, um, but not with a certain amount of kicking and screaming from the old guard. Um, and what I worry about now, I mean, as you've probably seen, is like a professionalisation of kind of local politics, where you get the kind of Oxbridge uh, kind of Labour and Tory party members who who try and get a seat while they're at university so they can become a PPS and then move on. But what I'd like to see more of is a much more mixed bag of like older people, women, uh, people of all different professions actually having to go and be in council for a little while without a view to then becoming prime minister after it, necessarily, but actually putting more into the community. Um, and I think there's been a lot of work in trying to like make council, you know, council work, uh, you know, councillors' work a bit more accessible, <laughs> and I hope it's more helpful. But um, another thing I mentioned in the book is that actually the biggest when I look at kind of politics that, uh, that's organised against the cuts, that's largely women for the yeah. most part, especially things like the bedroom tax. I go to South Wales, I go up to the north, and it's women in their 40s and their 50s whose kids are, you know, in, in secondary school who have become politicised because they've been hit by the cuts. They said that about the refugee crisis. Yeah. Basically, it's being met from Hungary to, to you know, Paris by middle-aged women. Yeah. <laughs> and they're the only people doing anything. Yeah. Any more questions? Two, yeah. Thank you. Um, I was wondering what you thought about the Equality Party. Oh, good question. <laughs> <laughs> Am I wrong in thinking it just disbanded itself? Did it? They... Oh, no, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. <laughs> I think we've started a lot of rumours about the future of the Guardian and political parties. <laughs> <laughs> you answer them in a batch, yeah. so you can yeah. ask yours next as well. I, I just wanted to know if there's anything about women that you did like. Mm-hmm. Ah. Excellent. Um, so, Women's uh, Equality Party. Um, anything you do, I don't want to be like, what? <laughs> I don't like anything ever. <laughs> um, I think it's very young, and I think. I quite like the fact that they said they wanted as many people as possible to participate and kind of form policies. Um, my only concern is that if you have a party that 
is supposed to be representative of half the population. Half that population have unbelievably disparate interests. So one of the things I talk about is that kind of part of the reason why getting women in at the very, very top doesn't always help women at the bottom is because uh, there's nothing intrinsic about gender that means that women will automatically act in the interest of other women over the interests of people of the same class of them, of the same wealth kind of level of them, mm-hmm. um, of people who they're kind of, you know, friend, friends, you know, friends with, went to school I mean, with. And that sort we of don't thing. all agree, right? Yeah. I mean, that's one yeah. of the things about women. Yeah. Um, all, the, all the right ones do. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean... Yeah. But, my, I mean, my feeling about, about the Women's Equality Party was that they don't, they don't really, exactly as you say, they don't really look at the systemic reasons for sexism. They no. just point out sexism. And, then you're, and then, then you're left in a kind of very reactive space where you're just constantly like, oh, oh there's some over there, some over there. It's like being a dog. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, and, and when it comes to things like cuts, for instance, are yeah. you going to say we should stop the cuts that hurt women, such as domestic violence centres, um, women's health, you know, etc., but say, so, so therefore it's fine to kind of cut fire services yeah. because fires don't disproportionately affect women? It's like, I don't, I, don't see, I don't see what policies they can come out with that will be in the interest of all women um, and, and that will actually see them as a, as a kind of, you know, party that can actually be taken seriously because what, I mean, what, 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 what is the Women's Equality Party issue on, you know, uh, view on Trident? How, how, how do they decide <laughs> wow, that? Do, uh, no do, do, they, do they say, oh, you know, well, if there was a nuclear strike, how many kind of women in Iran would be killed versus men? And which way do we go? It's like, how do you find, like, how do you, you know, how do you find a kind of feminist take on every single issue that you have to grapple with? So, I mean, and the women involved are so disparate. Like, yeah. you know, if you... If I'm sat at a women's equality party meeting, there's a woman who left the Tory party and she sat next to me. I can't imagine a single thing we're going to get on about, mm-hmm. except for the fact that we might have a kind of punch up afterwards. <laughs> so, I, I, I don't want to be too critical of the idea. I mean, I think, but yeah, I, I, I just, but I have, <laughs> but I, I just have no idea how it could possibly work in practice or why I would ever con- consider voting for it over a party that is, say, anti-austerity and anti-war and that sort of thing. Um, and I also don't think that my politics comes exclusively from being a woman. It comes from being a person who thinks you know, critically in certain ways and different and differently to a lot of people who are the same gender as me. Um, on what I'd like to lean in, lean in um, I think a lot of it is it's very encouraging. And I think that if I was, if I, if I, if by some kind of weird fluke of fate, I had somehow ended up in finance instead of kind of miserable social affairs journalism, <laughs> um, I might find it quite helpful. I think if 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 you're if if you're in, if you're in a position which you know kind of a lot of a lot of kind of wealthy women are, where you can afford childcare and you can afford um, a nice house and you have a settled husband, then some of the stuff that she says might be helpful. Um, and I can, but I think mostly it's a, mostly what I've seen, I see more businesses buy the book and hand it out to people, um, than I have actually women reading it themselves and recommending it themselves. So my old flatmate was, um, she worked in tech. She was quite high up in tech. She, um, she hated the kind of ladism of the men that she was managing. And so she started a kind of a women's group. And the male managers came in and said, let's call it a lean-in group. We've given you, and gave everybody a copy of Lean In. 
and basically encourage everyone to read that rather than <laughs> rather than like rather than actually get them to report any of the behaviour that was that, that was actually making yeah. women's lives worse, or even asking them what it was about about this tech company that that, that they find that they found quite hard. Yeah, yeah. So I think if you're if you're a very specific person like Sheryl Sandberg, it's very very encouraging, um, and it's quite upbeat. But, that, but then what you're saying basically is that it kind of not only does it not articulate anything that's important about inequality, but it also neutralises any space in which women might do something useful. Yeah. So yeah. I think that's a resounding no, yeah. right? There's yeah. nothing you like. And there's, and, and, there, and there's one, and so, and it, Leanin's, it's not just a book, it's also become like this massive brand. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Even before she released the book, she'd set up leanin.com ink or whatever it was mm. and the idea is to get people to have these it's a bit like the 70s kind of discussion circles that women have yeah i mean if they were actually looking at their vaginas i would have some time for them. yeah exactly but instead what they're told to do is to talk about a difficult situation at work but to only be positive about it <laughs> so if you have to sit and so you're not allowed to share any bad thoughts it's quite it's quite like so you have to sit around and you, and you have to say like i had a difficult so you say like oh, how long that would last yeah but, so, 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 yeah <laughs> So you can sit there and say, I was struggling with my workload and I realised if I stopped seeing my children at the weekend, then I found all this spare time and it's great. But it's a lot harder to do that when Fred from Accounts is uh, feeling you up and refusing to give you the form you need to actually kind of apply for your pension. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, it, so it's very difficult to raise actual gripes, but that's the whole point. The whole point is that you should be unfailingly positive about the spirit of capital and the yeah, pursuit yeah, yeah. of capital yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and if you just kind of keep your head down and work then you'll get there so yeah. I like to upbeat tone I wish I had an upbeat tone <laughs> <laughs> you've got time to develop an upbeat tone <laughs> thank you um, we, you started off talking about role models um, you talked about Sam Highly visible women and, and, and Theresa May. So we've got the, you know, the, the ones who are actively working against women's interests. And we've briefly mm-hmm. touched on the kind of empty symbolism of branded celebrity um, kind of feminist models. So is it that there's something inherently flawed in the idea of you know, the way we seek? Uh, role models now, or is it just um, oh, who would what would what are, who are the role models we need? Um, what are the um, other models? I think there's a kind of tendency with role models um, to, and I think it's partly because of the way we kind of live online and things. Um, I think there's a big tendency now for people to kind of want to know every aspect of your life. Yeah. A lot more with women than they do with men. Yeah. I mean, if I ever write an article, then I get loads of weird comments about whether or not I'm married and pregnant and have children and where I might live and that sort of thing. My male colleagues don't. But, and I think there's this, um, I think, I think you can have a role model where you think I'd quite like her job. I wonder how she got it. Like I used to do it with Zoe. Don't tell her. Um, (laughs) I really do think of myself as your mentor. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I think I think sometimes, like in the way that kind of people and kind of personas are sold to us, um, we can just become a bit too invested in some in kind of re-emulating somebody rather than just kind of being quite pleased with what they become and maybe copying one or two of their like routes to success or that sort of I thing. I think it's a really inherently sexist concept because nobody talks about male role models except for kids in single parent families on single estates. So it's it's inherently 
if you're shit, you need to look at somebody who's as shit as you but has succeeded anyway. <laughs> Whereas if you're if you're the norm, then you don't need to look to that. So I really got tweeted the other day. Yeah. I was slagging off Laura Coonsberg on for that thing. You remember that thing? Does anybody, does everybody know about the thing? Um, so she's the ITV reporter, and she basically gamed this this Labour MP who nobody had heard of into resigning live on air, five minutes, four pm cues. And I, I actually, I, I was agnostic about the issue, but mm. I was questioning mildly on Twitter whether that was the role of a independent state broadcaster yeah. to be telling people to resign on air. Um, just to get figures PM, up. To get figures up. I mean, it's just not very dignified, right? Eddie Mayer wouldn't do that. Yeah. Um, I love Eddie Mayer. Yeah, I love um, And I got, and somebody said, she, she should be a role model to you, which really annoyed me because she's younger than me. Because <laughs> <laughs> she's a woman. <laughs> I, I find it. I find it really interesting as well how men, like men, men, like you know, the same job as us, different jobs as us, with a pub, with a public profile. If they ever disagree with each other, it's reasoned debate. If women ever do it, it's oh, yeah, either yeah. bitching or oh, yeah. you're both hysterical or it's completely undignified. Yeah, women yeah. can't ever disagree, but if men do, then it, you know it's it, it, it's quite fun and wild and oh look they're debating. Whereas women, it's like oh they've lost yeah. it again. Those yeah, weird yeah, little yeah, ladies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder what time. Yeah, of the exactly. Month so is. we're meant to be constantly emulating each other yeah. and agreeing with each yeah. other which doesn't seem like there's very much room in there for achieving anything you know I don't know maybe I don't know I could be wrong there must be some people who you, who we'd like to be is there any other questions oh there's one over there um, so you wrote an article uh, a few months ago about the 90s oh yeah very compelling uh, and you mentioned it also at the beginning this evening around the, around the idea that in the 90s actually we were able to think about a lot more things a lot more interestingly and have lots of different opinions and it wasn't, I don't know, maybe quite as sanitised perhaps sometimes it seems now. Um, I'm wondering if you could, and, and did you two don't like expand a little bit on that, whether there's anything we sort of lost maybe from the spirit of the 90s um, or anything There were some terrible things about the 90s. I mean, and if you, and if you remember about the 90s, is all saints and combat Yeah, trousers. you don't remember anything. You remember <laughs> Sherbert Vivdabs. Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> You're wrapping your brains thinking, what sweets did I eat? What time do I have to go to bed? Um, <laughs> no, I mean, there was, there was some, I think, about the 90s. It was very, it was kind of aggressively apolitical. It was a whole kind of postmodern, post-ironic. If you took things seriously, you were really lame. Nobody was a feminist, nobody was left-wing, blah, blah, blah. And so there was a lot about it that was really depressing and really neutralising and really castrating. Actually, um, you're wrong about that nobody was a feminist because um, Jerry Halliwell said oh, she Jerry was Halliwell. a feminist. And she <laughs> yeah, said yeah, that yeah. she thought... I think she said, <laughs> yeah, she yeah. said Margaret Thatcher was she the first feminist. Margaret Thatcher was the first feminist. And, I, that, and that was kind of my first, like... But that was, actually, that, was my, that was the first time I'd heard about feminism. But that was absolutely classic 90s, apoliticized. You know, you sucked the <laughs> politics out of everything. And any, yeah. any woman who said any other woman was a feminist was equally valid and everybody was equally valid and nobody had to legitimise or justify anything. You just said whatever came into your stupid head. Um, that, so that was the 90s. But there was, there was other stuff. i tell you what, there wasn't in the 90s. This whole kind of achieve, achieve, must achieve, must be working, must get 10 A stars. Is that because you can afford houses? Yeah, yeah, because you can afford houses. So the kind of slacker culture mm. and, the, and the, the kind of anti-authoritarianism and the 
kind of natural kind of scepticism and, you know, a lot more, you know, even corporations used to be bold enough to make, to say things then. They're kind of really kind of sanitized, Hmm. work hard, narrow, work is my world. I I like to work hard and play hard and go jogging. All the health stuff. We didn't, we never went jogging. (laughs) And that, I think, is... I think is quite a big deal you know the kind of person the kind of intense introspection of like personal management that everybody mm. does now we didn't used to do and I think that was better <laughs> I don't know can we that... get back there or are we I don't know I mean I'm doing my best and terrified do my, forever. Do my best to drink as a role model <laughs> but um yeah I don't know I don't know whether I don't know whether that's I I I really do detect the ice cold hand of neoliberalism somewhere in the jogging agenda. Yeah. But, um, because you live longer, you have fewer sick days. Well, exactly. You kind of live longer, you have fewer sick days. There was no, you know, it used to be a badge of honour to take days off because you had a hangover. That was a thing. Now you just, like, who does that? They don't do that, do they? Anyway. Um, oh, some, some, some of the ladies in the front yeah, do. Okay, and they work for Verso Books if, if any of their employers are here. <laughs> We're podcasting this. Do we have time there. for one more question? Yeah, there's one there. I'm just really pleased that not a single man has asked a question. It's so, <laughs> it's so refreshing. But they all look like they're listening, though. Yeah, and there'll be a test afterwards. <laughs> Most in the Chelsea Handbook was talking about young girls and women. It was just all these women coming out of college and they're trying to say how exactly the same as Yeah, yeah. Why those women Yeah. She had the same confidence that she was all in one of that kind of thing. And what can we do to change that? Yeah. No, um like at one point, I mean I I mentioned in one of the first two chapters, she talks about how um she talks about what she calls the ambition gap. So she says that when Boys and girls are in school uh, and you say to them, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? And if you keep asking them that every year, then both boys and girls come up with like really outlandish jobs, really well-paid jobs, really ambitious jobs. And then once you get to the end of university, the women's, the women's ambition has dropped massively. And she doesn't do what almost everybody else I know would do, which is finish that sentence and say, so why is that? Here are some possible reasons. She says, so we have to stop that. So, she, so at, at, no, at, no point, at no point does Sheryl Sandberg think, right, these women have been away uh, working in quite a, a quite high-level academic, sometimes vocational background, and they suddenly come out of these three- or four-year degrees convinced that actually what they can achieve is a lot lower than they originally thought and by far lower than their male peers who've had the same education. And... What, and, and, she, and, and she does this repeatedly. She, she states a fact, but then doesn't, it does, doesn't examine or analyse why. And the reason is because, actually, the answers are quite uncomfortable. So when I was at university, I saw a lot of, kind of, um, a lot, a lot of men closing ranks, a lot of boys' clubs kind of beginning to replicate themselves. Um, and I began to see what I've seen ever since, which is if you're sat in a kind of seminar room or like any form of meeting with men and women, men talking over women constantly, 
um, women, f- women growing less and less confident of what they have to say and then being talked over and eventually other women kind of accepting that their opinions are less valid than, than their males um, and just getting talked over anyway. Um, so she, so at no point does she say, like, why do so many women choose not to come back to work afterwards? Mm. Could there be something wrong with work? No, every single time it comes back down to women deciding mm. not to be ambitious enough uh, you know, independently of themselves, all at once. How strange! It's like if you, you know, if if, if I opened the newspaper today and it said, you know, these a thousand dolphins have died <laughs> off the coast of Cornwall, I, I wouldn't, I, you know, I, I wouldn't look at it and go like, God, these dolphins should have just like gone to see a doctor or something. It's so weird. Like, why do they all decide to die? I think somebody poisoned the water. <laughs> but she never comes across like that. Everything is down to the individual dolphins, like just having no lust for life. So that's a good point to end on. Yeah, that's yeah. I like the dolphins best of all. Um, thank you very much. John thank will be you. signing books, I'm sure. And Zoe will as well, because we've got well, hers. Don't buy well. mine. Mine's really irrelevant now. Who will feed your children? <laughs> my fellow. Oh. <laughs> no, not really. I still earn money, um, but not from that book. Um, yeah, she'll be signing her book, though, which could not be more relevant. And in the meantime, thank you very thank much. You. Thanks, Zoe. Thank you for joining us for this London Review Bookshop event. For more, visit our website at www.londonreviewbookshop.co.uk or search for the London Review Bookshop on iTunes. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.